0: For the week of Wednesday, October 10th, 2018, this is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. Hello. This week, voting down candidates and voting out lawmakers who have been credibly accused of sexual misconduct. Stanford law professor Michelle Dauber was one of the key figures in the ballot initiative that removed Judge Aaron Persky from the bench in California following his light sentencing of Brock Turner. Recently, she formed the Enough is Enough Voter Project, and we talked with her about some of the work that group has already done against perpetrators of sexual misconduct in politics, including two instances here in Washington. According to Dauber, the aim of the campaign is very straightforward.
1: Our goal is that there will be no abusers in office at any level, not from the White House to dog catcher. There should be no one who engages in this behavior. We want to make this absolutely disqualifying for public office for anyone.
0: Also, residents in the 8th Congressional District may be wondering about billboards that have recently gone up with the website TheRealDinoRossi.com on them. We talk with one of the creators of the content for the site, Tiffany Smith Fleischman, about the need to educate voters on what Rossi, the Republican candidate for Congress in the 8th District, really stands for. That's all ahead, so stay with us. Stanford law professor Michelle Daubert first came to prominence following the sentencing of Stanford student Brock Turner, who was convicted of sexually assaulting an unconscious woman, and he received a sentence of just six months from Judge Aaron Persky. Daubert subsequently led a voter initiative to remove Persky from the bench, and I should note that the measure passed by a 23-point margin. Recently, she has launched the Enough is Enough Voter Project, which is committed to making violence against women a voting issue by actively exposing lawmakers and candidates who have been credibly accused of sexual assault, harassment, or domestic violence, and then working to defeat them at the polls. Michelle Daubert, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So, you know, I want to talk about the Enough is Enough project in in detail, and I very much want to talk about some of the work that you're doing here in Washington. But but before we do, I I do want to get your thoughts on what we just witnessed uh, over the weekend with the Senate approving uh, Brett Kavanaugh to the, the Supreme Court. Um, first, if you could just briefly give us a sense of your thoughts as you watch the testimony, both of Dr. Christine Blasey Ford and then of Brett Kavanaugh at the uh, Senate Judiciary hearings.
1: Well, um, first of all, I thought, and I think most women believed um, that Christine Ford was telling the truth. Um, her experience as she recounted it was unfortunately very familiar to many women. And I think that the incredible outpouring of political activity by women and also others um, following her testimony shows, I think, really the salience and the importance of this issue for many voters. Um, In terms of my reaction to Judge Kavanaugh, I mean, I think Judge Kavanaugh is unfit to serve uh, on any court. And I think his testimony really um, reinforced that. Um, I think, you know, the disrespect that he exhibited, the dishonesty that he exhibited, and of course, the fact that uh, he's been credibly accused of um, sexual misconduct, all constitute actionable potential judicial misconduct and should be investigated um, by the courts. So I thought that the um, the sort of very sharp political conflict over this um, and the thousands and thousands of protesters who were willing to get arrested and, uh, you know, engage in civil disobedience in order to support survivors was very encouraging.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I absolutely agree. Um, You know, you you talk about uh, investigations, and I I would just ask you, in your capacity as a law professor, uh, there has been talk from different corners about the possibility of Kavanaugh possibly being removed in some fashion from the bench in the future. Do you see that as a possibility? Uh, You uh, recently mentioned Justice Abe Fortas in your Twitter feed, who uh, resigned, uh, I believe, in 1969, in part due to ethics issues. Do you see anything like this happening? happening with Kavanaugh?
1: Well, I definitely think that the situation of Judge Kavanaugh raises serious questions of judicial misconduct under the rules of the um, Administrative Office of the U.S. courts. So it is actionable misconduct uh, for a judge to engage in um, behavior that reduces public confidence and faith in the courts. Um, if it affects enough people. And of course, here, you know, we're talking about a lot of people, a lot of women, particularly, who feel uh, that they don't have confidence in the courts because of Judge Kavanaugh. Um, and that would apply to his job in the D.C. Circuit, as well as now his promotion to the Supreme Court. So um, the typical thing that would happen is that the um, the court system would open an investigation. Um, Into these allegations of sexual misconduct and also into the allegations of dishonesty based on his testimony about his past drinking history and um, potentially he could be disciplined now they don't have the power to actually remove a judge, they can limit them from hearing cases or can um, impose censure on them. But, you know, if a federal judge is censured as a result of an investigation like that, um, that could lead, in fact, to impeachment. I don't think it's very likely in this case, but I also do not think it's impossible
0: well and it's it, i think impeaching a uh, sitting a supreme court justice my understanding is uh as politically difficult as impeaching a president and so it's 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 a yes. very a very high bar uh to uh, to overstep
1: right but not impossible i don't think that it's impossible it depends um entirely on you know what other evidence may come forward in the future so i would not rule it out um, I mean, it's clear that Judge Kavanaugh was extremely dishonest in his testimony. And, you know, there could also be other victims who come forward. There could be more information that has yet to be disclosed. So I I think there's an awful lot about Judge Kavanaugh that is really disturbing.
0: I agree. And, and this is very unprecedented uh, legally as well, isn't it?
1: I mean, I yeah. Uh, Definitely, yes. I mean, I think there is a lot about Justice Kavanaugh that is really disturbing and really alarming. And um, we just don't know. But I think that it is not impossible to imagine that he may be censured or removed at some point in the future. But um, does not seem likely to me.
0: Well, thank you for giving uh, your perspective on that. Um, so I do want to shift over and talk about the Enough is Enough Voter Project, because uh, I think it's, it's actually quite powerful and very exciting. Uh, you say on the website that uh, while we have seen the Me Too movement have an impact with sexual predators losing their jobs and being successfully persecuted in, say, the world of business and entertainment, uh, we've seen this now with Les Moonves, Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby, many others, uh, the world of politics is lagged behind behind. Uh, and many elected officials have failed to face any real consequences. Uh, we've maybe seen this most stunningly with with Trump himself. You say the problem is particularly pronounced at the state and local level. Why do you suppose that is?
1: I think that um, oftentimes there is a lack of information. And one of our big goals is to make sure that voters have all the information when they go to the ballot box. And uh, state and local officials um, often, you know, in rural communities, there may not even be a newspaper because of the um, sort of decline of local journalism. There may not be a local TV station. People get cable and they get it from locations that may be pretty far removed from their community, maybe even across state lines sometimes. Um, Radio is now satellite. So there just may not be any information about this. And people have maybe heard rumors, but they don't know what's true. And so one of the roles that we hope the Voter Project can play is just in making sure that voters have all the information and are fully informed about these kinds of allegations when they cast their vote.
0: Yeah, you are looking to to really be, uh, you know, sunshine is the best disinfectant, I believe the uh, expression goes. Well, so tell us about how the uh, Enough Is Enough project got started, and then tell us. I mean, you are giving us a little bit of an idea, but just kind of flesh it out for us, if you would, how it works specifically.
1: Um. Well, we got started um, after the recall when, as you mentioned, I think in your introduction. Um, we had a landslide victory. Yeah, 23 although, points. Yeah. 24 actually. Twenty four points. Counting. <laughs> <laughs> although it would be great to be able to say, oh, that's because it was such a great campaign that we ran. And I do think we did run a good campaign. Um, that kind of a blowout electorally is really not because of the strength of our campaign. Um, it's because of the strength of the feelings that voters have. And what we saw was that for some segments of the voting population, women, uh, particularly younger women, millennial women, voters of color, uh, lower income voters, this is an absolutely key or core issue. They simply will not vote for someone who has been Um, you know, credibly accused of this kind of behavior, or even for someone who simply has made it clear that they don't take this issue seriously, that they don't really think sexual harassment or sexual assault is a big deal. They will just simply not vote for that person and they will look for an opportunity to vote against them. And coming out of that campaign, we realized um, that this was an issue that could both mobilize and persuade voters So I started working with the women who had led the recall and also with Women's March and the Feminist Majority and other women's groups to see if we could um, have an impact, the kind of impact we had in the recall campaign, but on a broader level. And we also were very um, persuaded by some polling that was done by the Barbara Lee Family Foundation that showed that um, the vast majority of American voters, including men and bipartisan, that is Republicans as well as Democrats, will not vote for someone who has been accused of sexual harassment or simply who just doesn't take it seriously. And that that um, voting preference is stronger in younger voters. And so. We just got very excited about, um, you know, that the research was bearing out what we had experienced uh, in um, our campaign here and in the David Sawyer campaign up there.
0: We'll talk and about we, that in a moment. Yeah.
1: And we wanted to continue that fight. And I think that there are a couple good reasons to go after state legislators. One of those, as I said, was um, that there's a lack of information potentially Um by voters and we wanna fill that gap. Another is that, you know, it's very efficient because if you can get the voters to vote out someone at an early stage of their career, then they won't go on to hold higher office. And if you think about the Roy Moore Senate race, I mean, that was, I believe, the most expensive Senate race in American history. Um, It can be very expensive to defeat someone um, as they move up in their career. So it's much better if you are able to get that information out to impact their election when they are younger um, or at an earlier career stage. So for those reasons, we think this is the efficient uh, use of our resources.
0: Right. So exposure and do it early enough so that uh, the uh, person in question doesn't wind up having a more formidable political career that could then be more difficult to stop, as we've seen in the case of uh, Brett Kavanaugh, although he is a justice. I think what you're talking about is essentially the same there. There is a super PAC uh, that is part of your project. Tell us about that and then what the money does.
1: So that, I want to be very clear, has no impact on the state of Washington. Um, The state of Washington has um, some very uh, strong rules about um, campaigns being locally run. And um, so I actually got a lot of advice uh, to... Um, to not participate in the Washington election uh, because of Washington's, you know, very strict system. Um, but I felt so passionate about Matt Manweller that Who we decided, will also talk about
0: in just a moment. Yeah,
1: that I decided to simply um, reach out to local uh, individuals and organizations and see if we could form uh, a local Washington state pack. And that I would help raise money for that. And so that's what I've done. So the super PAC has no role in Washington. It is a local Washington PAC called the Enough is Enough PAC. So it has a similar name, but it is separate. And um, it is funded uh, primarily from Washington, but also um, I have helped to raise money. I believe it's primarily, actually, I don't want to be inaccurate. So it's funded by a combination of state and national um, donors.
0: And anybody who has started a 501c4 uh, in this state here, and a lot of people listening have, uh, know exactly what you're talking about. So, you know, Mm -hmm. before we move on to um, what you have uh, accomplished here in, in Washington, I do want to ask you why you were moved to start this project when you did and and if there was a particular event or tipping point for you in 2018 i mean this has been a bad year uh on so many levels uh particularly when it comes to cases of uh, you know uh, men of power uh engaging in all sorts of of just horrible sexual misconduct but i'm wondering if there was some particular moment for you
1: um no not really i mean it's been a it's been very clear to me for a long time that We are not making progress on reducing uh, sexual violence, and we're having to fight very hard to keep the sort of minimal gains that we have made over time. You know, Donald Trump's administration is gutting Title IX. Um, He's appointing very conservative judges who will um, roll back other important protections against sexual harassment in the courts. Um, And we need to change tactics. Up to this point, over the last hundred years, we have lobbied for laws to be passed. We have formed nonprofit organizations. We have become court advocates. We have donated money and clothing and time and energy and attention to shelters and programs for sexual assault and domestic violence. But the rates of these crimes have stayed very depressingly high. And I want to shift gears. And instead of trying to get, you know, government to do something for us i want to vote out individuals who have um shown either through their actions or their words that they don't take this issue seriously and i think that when we start voting people out that is when, and not before that, we will see real progress on this issue.
0: Well, let's talk about some of the candidates that you're focused on. Uh, David Sawyer, you mentioned Matt Manweller, and, and I do want to talk about them in depth in, in just a second. But uh, also across the nation, uh, Minnesota mm-hmm. Representative Jason Lewis, a North Carolina House candidate, uh, Steve Van Lure, Tennessee State Legislator David Byrd, Texas State Legislator Matt Rinaldi, and California State Legislator Devin Mathis. W- what is the commonality among all of these? men. And then further to that, what is the benchmark for a credible accusation of of sexual misconduct for you?
1: So the commonality among all of these um, individuals that we're highlighting on our website is that they all have exhibited behavior that shows that they don't take sexual harassment and sexual violence seriously. Some of them are credibly accused individually of having committed these kinds of offenses, um, including very serious offenses, David Byrd, for example, has been accused of sexually abusing three of his former students when he was a high school teacher and coach. I mean, very serious. Um, And he does not deny the allegations, by the way. Um, uh, Some of them have simply atrocious voting records. Um, Matt Rinaldi uh, has voted – against extending the statute of limitations for sexual assault cases. He's voted against improved um, support for victims of child sex trafficking. Um, he has made statements that indicate that he thinks, you know, the whole Me Too movement is a, you know, political witch hunt. He has um, he even voted against uh, making April Sexual Assault Awareness Month. Other Texas Republicans have said that Matt Rinaldi is, um. You know, out of step with Texas uh, and even with Texas Republicans on the wow. subject. Wow,
0: that's saying something. Um,
1: so another thing that unites them. Speaking of that, is that um, most of these people have s- been subjected to bipartisan criticism. That is, um, although in this general se- uh, election cycle, all of the um, individuals we're focusing on our Republicans. Uh, Republicans don't want them either. Um, so uh, Steve on Lohr's entire staff, uh, all Republicans quit when they learned about the allegations against him. David Byrd has been called upon to resign by the House Republican speaker in Tennessee, as well as the Republican lieutenant governor. And Marcia Blackburn, the Republican congresswoman from that district, who is now running for Senate, called him or called the allegations disgusting and shocking. Um, Matt Rinaldi, I just mentioned, has been criticized by uh, members of his own party for being too pro-rape. And Devin Mathis was censured by the entire Tulare County Republican Central Committee, which said it was ashamed of him. So I think that what unites them is that their own party has criticized them and they have indicated a complete contempt for uh, women who have been victimized by sexual harassment or sexual
0: violence. You know, I, b- before we move on, I just want to kind of point something out that uh, when I say sexual misconduct in this context, uh, that is to include uh, things like harassment, assault, even rape. And so I, I mean mm-hmm. to sort of use that as a, as a term that will uh, broadly cover what we're talking about here. Um, so I want to talk now about David Sawyer and some of the work that you've done and are doing here in Washington state. Uh, Sawyer was defeated in the August primary this year. He has had a number of allegations of sexual misconduct against him. Talk about uh, what role you played here.
1: Oh, we were very minimally involved in that. Um, that that was really um, a uh, local, again, like the Manweller campaign, a local Washington campaign. Um, our group didn't exist yet. But um, myself and um, others who were involved in the recall campaign learned about that campaign from the New York Times, actually, and reached out to the leaders and said, you know, we want to volunteer. And we did um, organize some efforts for Get Out the Vote um, on a volunteer basis and um, participated that way um, in the closing days of that campaign. Um, But that was a local campaign. Then after that campaign was over, um, those were the individuals that I then approached and said, you know, hey, we've (laughs) learned about Matt Manweller. He seems really terrible. Um, Really one of the worst I've ever seen um, from my research. And um, do you think we could do something similar to what was just done for Sawyer? And I was very uh, happy that they were interested in that.
0: Well, since you bring up Matt Manweller, um, uh, he's a Washington state representative from the 13th L.D. Um, he's been fired from his teaching post at Central Washington University. This is following accusations of sexual misconduct. Um, and legislative leaders here in the state have urged him to step down. I know you've spoken out publicly against Manweller. Uh, talk about some of the work that you're doing here.
1: Um, So as I said, I've been really, really gratified that there are local leaders um, who have uh, partnered with me um, in working to defeat Matt Manweller. Matt Manweller has a record that I think is astonishingly bad, even by uh, the standards of other state legislators who have been accused around the country. Um, There have been three separate independent investigations, all of which concluded that there was a problem with his treatment of female students at the university where he was employed at the time, Central Washington. Um, On the third investigation, there was an 85-page independent report, which is extremely thorough, and involved the uh, interviewing of dozens of witnesses who all came forward separately with extremely similar allegations. And he was found to be not credible the witnesses were found to be credible and he was terminated and as a tenured university professor myself what i can tell you is that is really difficult that mm. is a very high standard um, for terminating a tenured professor and it just will not happen unless the evidence is overwhelming and i review the 85 page report and the evidence is in fact of course overwhelming and it is some of the worst allegations you know, that I have seen really. I mean, he was found to be trying to exchange sex for grades. He was, uh, you know, found to have uh, sexually inappropriately approached his babysitter. Um, there are six additional complaints from young women uh, legislative staffers on top of the 16 women who came forward who were students. Uh, I mean, it really seems as though everywhere Matt Manweller goes, he harasses young women and um, to have someone like that simply coast to another victory is completely unacceptable. And that was before the allegations of him having sex with high school student. Um, you know, came forward uh, uh, that, you know, that were reported in the press recently. So even before that, it was already an overwhelming case. And then it came out that as a teacher, uh, high school teacher, he had a sexual relationship with a seven, I believe, 17 year old high school student who had been his student. And I mean, the idea that this person serves in public office is completely unacceptable. The idea that he would just be allowed to continue in that role um, and not Uh, not even have really a a serious campaign waged against him um, is also completely unacceptable. And so this is exactly the kind of case that I think is ripe for an electoral campaign. You have a rural area. The voters may not even know these facts. We just want to make sure that the voters are fully informed about who he is. Um, And in the process of doing that, the Republican leadership called for him to resign, and then he still didn't resign, which I think is appalling. You know, he should have resigned immediately. I mean, he says that if he
0: wins the election, he will resign at that point.
1: Well, he also said that he, um, you know, didn't harass all those young women. I mean, I don't know why we would believe anything Matt Manweller says. He was found to be not credible by the... um, uh, by this investigator. I mean, what if he wins and then he turns around and says, well, you know, the people have spoken. I'm going to stay in office. Uh, that seems entirely possible to me.
0: You know, we were just speaking earlier about uh, shifting public opinion around this. And Manweller is still actually very popular in his district. It's a heavily Republican district. But are do you feel that more information uh, in this case can turn the tide?
1: I don't think Matt Manweller is popular. That is not, well, he did win the primary uh, what,
0: with 63% of the vote.
1: Yeah, that's true. But I don't think he's popular. Um, I think that people have really, really serious reservations about him, about his behavior and about his judgment. Um, so I don't think that Matt Manweller himself is popular. And I think that as more information is given to voters, uh, they— really do not want him to represent them. I think that it's true that it's a very Republican district. Um, the Democrat running in that district is not um, someone who is, uh, you know, sort of a quote, Seattle liberal. Oh, no. I mean, Sylvia Hammond
0: is, a, is more of a moderate. That's true. Yeah. She's
1: a moderate. She's a farmer. She's a teacher. She's someone from a very strong faith community. I don't believe that Um, the voters are very familiar with her. And I think if they were, they might be more comfortable with her, but be that as it may, uh, I also think that, uh, you know, our information makes it very clear that as the voters learn about the things Matt Manweller has done and when they are fully informed and have the facts, they are going to vote against him.
0: You know, speaking of the partisan divide, um, Manueler is obviously a Republican. Uh, David Sawyer, uh, I did not mention, is a Democrat. You yourself are also a, a very prominent Democrat. You served on Hillary Clinton's National Finance Committee in 2016. Um, I, you have taken pains to stress that sexual misconduct against women should not be a partisan issue for voters, right?
1: Yes, that's right. It's not a partisan issue. In fact, I mean, quite frankly, a sexual harasser never asks you if you're a Republican or a Democrat before they harass you. And I think that this is an issue that crosses party lines. Um, I certainly personally was happy to see Al Franken leave the Senate. Um, I uh, believe that The campaign against David Sawyer was exactly right. Aaron Persky, for whatever it's worth, claimed to be a Democrat. I think that this behavior is unacceptable. It's unacceptable at any level and it's unacceptable from any person, regardless of party. So, you know, our message is no abusers on the Supreme Court, no abusers on the Superior Court, no abusers or enablers in office, period. And certainly um, the Democratic Party. Uh, should not think that it is going to get a free pass here because it is not. In the primary, we will absolutely be um, looking to target Democrats and elect um, Democrats who respect women instead of uh, Democrats who don't respect women. There is no question that um, our message is there are no safe seats and there is no safe place for anyone in any party who is going to engage in um, this kind of behavior
0: Well, I think that is absolutely tremendous. And uh, just before I let you go, I will ask you, what do you see as the long-term aim of Enough is Enough? How do you see it shaping the political landscape and and the national conversation over time?
1: Well, my goal or let me just say this, our hope is that we will take violence against women and make it clear that this is a voting issue. As I said, our goal is that there will be no abusers in office at any level, not in the You know, not from the White House to dog catcher. There should be no one who engages in this behavior. We want to make this an uh, absolutely disqualifying for public office for anyone. And by doing that, we hope to send a message that this is a serious issue. This is an important issue and the government has to take it seriously. It's not a private issue, it's not a personal issue, it's one that has to be front and center on the agenda. And we also hope to develop a set of issues that will become basically a report card or a scorecard by which the public can evaluate the behavior of legislators on this issue.
0: Well, that would be similar to, I guess, in the negative, the NRA, and in the positive, the uh, the, the Conservation uh, League of Conservation Voters and something like that, which is tremendous. Um, so I will just ask you in closing, if somebody is interested in getting involved with your efforts, a listener. uh, How might he or she uh, do so?
1: So in the state of Washington, um, you know, it would be great to have people go to stopmanweller.com and donate to the campaign. Um, This is a locally funded campaign. As I said, um, the super PAC has no role there. I am personally raising money for this campaign, um, along with our allies in Washington. So um, if anyone is able to go to stopmanweller.com, you can read all about the campaign. You can watch our campaign videos. Um, Actually, I should tell you about those, and then you can include that in your report. So two of Matt Manweller's victims, um, young women who live in Ellensburg and went to central Washington, um, uh, made uh, uh, videos for the campaign um, describing what he did. And uh viewers can uh go to our website and watch those videos. Um and those one are of at
0: stopmanweller.com. Women...
1: Yes, they okay. can go to stopmanweller.com. There's also a stopmanweller um YouTube channel where they can watch those videos as well. And um I think they're very compelling. These are just ordinary You know, young women from Ellensburg, Washington, Um, one of them says, you know, she's a Republican and she is not going to vote for Matt Manweller because he is not trustworthy. And I think that that is a really important point. You know, when parents, hardworking parents in rural Washington send their daughters to college, they deserve not to have, you know, to worry about those daughters being sexually preyed upon by the faculty, um, I personally, as a professor, find it absolutely shocking. That's why I was willing to, you know, sort of go to any length to figure out how to have this campaign happen, even though um, the national organization is not able to play a role um, or uh, donate to it. Um, I decided I will just raise the money myself because as a university professor and as a mother of uh two daughters um i just find it completely unacceptable that such a thing you know would happen and i think that you know your listeners should go to our website and watch those videos because i think that it you know it says a lot about matt Manweller that he did this to these two young women and it says a lot about these young women and their character that they are um willing to stand up and um so yeah
0: I will just also mention that we have a a national listening audience as well, and there is a feature on your website in which uh, people can report candidates. Uh, Can you tell us about that?
1: Oh, oh, this is one of the most exciting features. So um, there's a little story that goes with this, which is that right after, you know, we started um, kicking around the idea of doing this, someone said, oh, did you know that there's this city council member in a nearby community to where I live, who was convicted of domestic violence in 2015. And I hadn't even known that, even though, you know, as you might suspect, I read a lot about this, I pay a lot of attention to the issue. And that again, called, um, Uh, Out for me, the fact that there's not good information out there in the public, you know, maybe because there's not enough press coverage or Mm -hmm. just because, you know, the information is siloed. Maybe it was in this local paper. And so what we are trying to do is give um, give uh, people the chance to have survivor voices amplified by Reporting a candidate, you know, if there's someone in your community who maybe the local paper has written about, well, if you're in a small town in Western Massachusetts, there's no way I'm going to know about that in California. So you can report it right on our website and put in the links and upload documents and then we can research it. And if we decide that, you know, there's enough information and um, uh, uh, out there about it, that it would make a good case for us to follow up on, then that candidate could end up on our um, featured candidate list. So um, I I think that part of what we're trying to do here is definitely make a difference in the election. And and one of the ways we're trying to do that is by amplifying survivor voices. We really want to give people, people who have had these experiences or who are living in these communities a uh, chance to have their voices heard. And so that's that's part of that feature. We also have other ways for people to volunteer. If you go to enoughisenoughvoter.org, uh, you can join our postcarding team. Um, which is an indivisible um, strategy, and one of our partners uh, is indivisible, you can um, join our uh, text bank team. You can host a fundraiser in your community. So we, we've tried to come up with different ways that people can get engaged. And of course, we do need donations of money as well.
0: Well, there's so much to do, and it's just incredible work that you're doing. And I, I really want to say thank you for that. The site is enoughisenoughvoter.org, as you just mentioned. Uh, Michelle Dauber, thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So those of you in the 8th Congressional District, uh, specifically those of you in Auburn and Wenatchee, may have recently seen billboards with the website therealdinorossi.com on them. And you may be wondering what that's all about. Well, the billboards and the website are the work of members of Indivisible Washington's 8th District and are funded by the Indivisible Project, not in conjunction with any candidate or candidates' committee. Uh, and to learn more about all of this, I have invited one of the people responsible for much of the content on that website, Tiffany Smith Fleischman, to talk about it. Hi, Tiffany. Hello. So really, the purpose of these billboards uh, and the site is to educate and inform voters, uh, because Dino Rossi has, as we know, a great deal of name recognition here in Washington, having uh, run for office as many times as he has. Uh, But voters may not necessarily know what he really stands for. Right. So that's what this site is all about.
2: Correct. And he's very good at using very vague language that on first read sounds very reasonable. And well thought out, but when you sit with it for a minute and actually like diagram his sentences, you realize mm. they're very vague they say nothing they don't have any specific information um, and on some issues he just flat out doesn't take a stand and he says, "I don't run on social issues and that's it and for voters who haven't had exposure to his past campaigns or his voting record in Olympia, that's the end of the story. But the fact is he has a pretty deep record that we can draw from. So even though he's not saying anything now, um, he's said a lot in the past. And um, this is really important in our district because we have a lot of people who are new to the area. We've had a huge influx of um, people who've moved here for jobs. And we also have a whole new generation of voters who, you know, weren't even born when he first ran. So there's a huge gap that we need to fill.
0: Yeah. I mean, he really does try to uh, position himself as a moderate. And uh, I think uh, a lot of what you have produced on the site uh, sort of gives the lie to, to that stance, and specifically where you're drawing from is his voting record and quotes in interviews. Primarily, that's where you're getting the information from, correct?
2: Interviews, his own website for his current campaign, um, but I, I went over past Seattle Times interviews, old Seattle PI interviews, News, uh, Tacoma News Tribune interviews, and then our research team did an exhaustive uh, roll call evaluation and analysis of every vote um, to get a a sense of how partisan he is. When there was a choice to be bipartisan, he often chose to be very partisan. Um, And he may use very kind-sounding language, but the fact is is that when you really drill down to what he has said in the past about his position, which we we have no indication to um, suggest that his positions have changed... Um, he's actually farther to the right than Dave Reichert. Um, and especially like in the environment. Um it's very frustrating um yeah. to actually see this language uh that he uses because it is so deceptive.
0: Well, let's talk about some of the areas that are on display on the website. Uh, certainly, in the, the environment is one of them. Healthcare, women's rights, gun safety, the economy. Uh, I think it would be timely for us to start with women's rights uh, for a number of reasons, not least of which is on Monday we saw a, a video compilation making the rounds on social media of Dino Rossi repeatedly saying at uh, campaign rallies, "Fix your hair, girls." Dino Rossi's coming door to door. So. That probably gives you a hint as to his views on women's issues. Um, But specifically on reproductive rights, he has refused to give his stance since declaring his candidacy. As you say, this is the sort of thing that he likes to do. What can you tell us about what you have learned about Dino Rossi when it comes to reproductive rights?
2: So he he continues to say, "I don't run on social issues." However, um, back in two thousand four, on the record. Um, which he has not done, made any effort to suggest that he's had an evolution in his position or that there is any change to this position. But in 2004, when he was running for governor, he uh, told the Seattle Times, which uh, people can go to on the website, there's a link. But the quote is, my wife and I are both Catholic and believe every soul has value. If it came before me, I'd vote my conscience course. If any of those issues do, I'd vote my conscience. If I'm going to make an error, I'll, I'm always going to err on the side of life. What's the worst case scenario? Someone is alive. So when it comes to those issues, I will always err on the side of life. That's pretty unequivocal. True. Um And there is nothing since 2004. So, you know, 14 years, to suggest that that position has changed, despite smiling and saying, I don't vote on social issues. Another really important thing to note is um, that he is on the record saying, if I hadn't taken a stand on abortion, I would be governor. So I'm not going to put words in his mouth, but he acknowledges that he took a, a position of conscience. And it cost him an election. And now he says, I don't run on social issues. So I guess the lesson is talk less, smile more, right? Right. So, But the the fact is, is that voters deserve to know what his position is, because he will absolutely be voting on issues in Congress related to women's health, related to abortion, related to Planned Parenthood funding, Um, and even uh, like spending bills for foreign aid, there are always tucked in there, family planning and abortion services, amendments, and and little little side things tucked into those bills that he will be voting on. And if this is an important issue for a voter in any part of the district, not just the blue, blue parts, there are people who care about access to women's health care, including abortion, all over our district. And if this is their issue, they need to know what his position is.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And he's being pretty opaque about it. Uh, You know, I will just highlight uh, the quote that you cited came from The Seattle Times, as you said, and everything on this site is sourced and attributed. Uh, So let's talk about what we can determine his stance to be on gun safety. Uh, We do know that he has gotten an A rating from the NRA and they have funded his past campaigns. Tell us a little bit more about what you have found on Rossi. On this issue
2: so Rossi actually has um, a gun how does he keeping our children safe is his topic on his issues um, which I, I feel like is new. This was not on there when I was doing my initial research. so this is this tells you something that if it's on there now they're, they're finding some feedback that suggests that people want common sense gun laws on the books. Um, he is stating it's essential we keep our children safe in schools, that he's willing to listen and talk with anyone who wants to work in good faith to advance solutions to violence that are effective and constitutional. And he says that it's immense. He goes back to mental illness issues in this country. And and so those are a lot of very... Um, Commonly used talking points by members of the Republican Party when it comes to guns, particularly mental um, Ill,
0: mental health issues. Yeah,
2: exactly, exactly. He does. He's repeating the mental health concerns as a way to stop gun deaths, even though the Republicans um, are cutting funding and programming for mental health programs, um, and he doesn't address that. The other really I think really telling thing he says very interesting things to reporters um for local newspapers. I think he's a little more buttoned up when he talks to the bigger papers, but um with the and Sammamish reporter, he refused to state his position on background checks and he says he wants to wait and see what gains traction in Congress before weighing in on any potential changes. so wait and see is not what people are asking for; people are asking for very specific and meaningful changes now he is saying on his website now that um he wants congress to evaluate um whether modifications of um legal weapons into illegal so b- the bump stock issue he does he, it's, he says that he supports an evaluation of that um, that's kind of also vague it's not very you know we must address the bump stock issue um And he's going back to, we must strictly enforce the current laws. So there is this groundswell of support for for broader, more specific, big effect gun laws and changes. And again, he kind of goes back to these. Republican talking points yeah. um, that are, are biding time.
0: And something else that you point out on the website, and I, I think that this is very telling, he has also hidden Facebook comments and posts that point to his NRA support. Uh, and in fact, he's got quite a track record of hiding unsupportive comments from people on Facebook. Um, it's happened to me and it's happened to a number of people that I know. Um, it's unclear whether he's doing it or it's his campaign, but he's clearly condoning it. And it gives you an idea of what sort of representative he would be. Um, Let's also talk about health care. We do know that Rossi opposed the ACA. What else can you tell us about him here?
2: So he has not said one thing about pre-existing conditions. And this people this is something people care about. Um, And I would almost I almost wonder if this could be like a single issue for some voters. Um, He opposes the Affordable Care Act. Um, He does not support the individual mandate Um, and numerous healthcare organizations have strongly come out against the idea of repealing the individual mandate. It's just really interesting because he doesn't offer any other meaningful suggestions to replace what they want to take away. And he's not offering anything specific or concrete, which is kind of the problem. Um, He just, Criticizes and criticizes and criticizes the, the the program.
0: Well, I mean that's very consistent with what congressional Republicans did in the wake of the passage of the ACA. Right? They right. voted to repeal it dozens of times, uh, but when it came time for them to put together a workable replacement, they they had no real solutions to offer.
2: Right. So forty three thousand people in the eighth district received health care under the Affordable Care Act, um, despite pre existing conditions. So they couldn't be turned away if they have diabetes, if they had breast cancer. So this is a big thing. He will push for this. And there's nothing to indicate that he won't be on board with the other tactics that they plan to use to continue to dismantle it piece by piece. In the Senate when in Olympia, you know, he tried to get introduced into a budget bill. Uh, He wanted to change the eligibility age for um, children on Medicaid, which would have eliminated health care for 46,000 children in Washington state alone, which I find very interesting because the first point on his website under issues is protecting the vulnerable. So, like, he's hanging his hat on protecting the vulnerable, and yet um, he also – rags about getting his budget through where he was trying to include this very thing. Um, it didn't end up making it into the final bill. There was pushback on it, but it was his thing.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, there's... There's a great deal of dissonance there between that and, uh, like you say, his pledge to protect the vulnerable on his website. Uh, and depending on what poll you source, healthcare is the number one issue on voters' minds in 2018, so uh, something people will definitely want to check out on the website, which, again, is therealdinorossi.com. It is full of scrupulously researched information, and I would encourage people listening to share it around, particularly with anybody who might be on the fence. Uh, well, Tiffany smith Fleischman thank you for all of this great work. And thank you especially for joining us to talk about it.
2: It was my pleasure. Thank you.
0: And that'll do it for this week's show. For links to everything that we talk about here on the show, you can go to indivisiblepodcast.org. You can also subscribe to the show there as well. The email address for the show is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com, and the Twitter handle is at indivisiblepod. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative, Inc., with production assistance from Cecilia Knob. Thanks again to my guests, Michelle Dauber and Tiffany smith Fleischman, And as always, thanks to you guys for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.